0: interview hello everyone i'm joe sl12743
1: this is nikki dz8397 hi i'm bathory bh418
0: and uh that last person you heard she's a very special guest in this very special mini cast episode of the 501st cast and uh, she's known in the acting industry I would say as Verona Blue Verona welcome to the 501st cast we're very glad to have you here and Thanks. and uh you know uh there's something we're going to get more uh, into later but the reason you're here is not just because you're a 501st Legion member but it's also because you had a, you got you you did something that every Star Wars fan dreams about. Yeah, and, uh, I'm living
2: the big dream right now. <laughs> yeah,
0: you were in a Star Wars movie. Now we're gonna get into which Star Wars movie that was, and uh and specifically what you did in that movie a little bit later. But let's back up a little bit. You've got a three-digit TK number. You've been in the 501st Legion for a very, very long time. How long have you been? In the Legion, and can you describe for us, first of all, what it was like, you know, in the Legion way back then versus now? And uh, what got you started in the Legion? How did you find yourself as a 501st Legion member?
2: Sure. So I have officially been in the Legion for 16 years. Uh, On paper, I joined in January of 1999. So that's before episode one came out. Um, And back then, It was just a little website with photos of Albin and a a bunch of his friends hanging out dressed like plastic spacemen. Uh, And it was just barely becoming a sort of formalized fan group that he had put up this website about him and his friends and other fans had started to find it on the internet and say, how can I join your group? Um, So when I joined, I chose a three-digit TKID. I could have had a two-digit. I could have had a one-digit. Um, There were so few members. I think my official joining number is 219. Um, I'm not 100% sure how that's calculated, but roughly that I think I'm the 219th member that joined. And as far as I know, I am one of the five remaining original Canadian Garrison members. So... Cool. One of, one of the oldest standing members in that group. Yeah.
0: <laughs> really, really cool. So initially you were in the Canadian Garrison, but now you find yourself in the Southern California Garrison, my Garrison. I'm so glad that you are here.
2: <laughs> Hooray. <laughs> Yeah, I, you know, I'm from Toronto originally. So joining Canadian Garrison was obviously the right choice for me at the time. And what I remember specifically about the Canadian Garrison, especially compared to what I saw on the boards and in the chats with the other garrisons was we were really small and we were very tight knit and mostly localized in Toronto. There were some people in Montreal and some people in Alberta, but for the most part, we were all around the Toronto area. And so we had a very close friendship very quickly. I'm still friends with almost all of those people Um, and we did a lot of social events that weren't necessarily troop related we really got together um, to spend time with each other and to enjoy our fandom and to join enjoy each other's friendship and i remember very clearly for so many years as you know the 501st has a tumultuous history there's been a lot of political upheaval which i think is is um probably thematic for our group. <laughs> and <laughs> and I remember watching some of the other garrisons go through these growing pains and people from different backgrounds not necessarily meshing as well as I always felt the Canadian garrison did. So it was sort of a little bit of a joke that the Canadians were still so well-behaved and got along so well and all the Americans were always fighting with each other. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll be happy to know
1: that the Canadian garrison is still one of the, the model garrisons for for acting the most like a Star Wars family.
2: Hooray.
1: Um, <laughs> because obviously I'm Garrison Excelsior, which is kind of like southern C- Canadian Garrison basically yeah. <laughs> in, uh, in New York. So, I get a chance to to troop with them often and they definitely have still have that tight knit feeling even though they've obviously grown quite a bit in the past decade.
2: Yeah. Yeah, they're all amazing people. I I I am so grateful that I met all of those people and that we're still friends and, and that when I go home, I can still see them regularly and they still consider me part of the garrison. Even though I actually moved away from Toronto, God, uh, eight years ago. Yeah. I left Toronto.
1: Yeah. So do we want to talk about, um, what caused you to leave and what dream you were pursuing that has now
2: uh, yeah, gotten you where sure. you are? Um, so uh, I won't get too nostalgic, but I, I was always a bit of a child actor. And, uh, when I was growing up, my parents were very supportive of that. But by the time I got to university, I think they really felt strongly that I should pursue a more lucrative career and go to school for that. And that sort of dashed my dreams of being an actor a little bit. Cause I just felt like there wasn't that support. And I think when you're a teenager, there is a, if you get along with your parents, there's, there's a certain level of needing that support to make that huge step into adulthood. So I kind of stepped away from acting a little bit when I went to university for new media and film. But then in 2005, I was becoming very close with a lot of actors um, and film professionals, including Matt Wood, who I'm still really, really good friends with. And uh, I kind of couldn't get away from it. And it was really nagging in the back of my brain. So I took a summer and did a sort of test run at a theater school in England at the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art. And that went really well. And so I decided I was going to go pursue a further degree in professional acting in England specifically. And I was accepted into the Bristol Vic Theatre School, which was the school started by Laurence Olivier. A lot of people know um, Patrick Stewart went there. Daniel Day-Lewis went there. So it has a very good reputation. (laughs) And I was given a place there and I moved to England and I did a one-year master's course at the Bristol Vic Theatre School. Then I moved to London for a couple of years after that and pursued theater and film in the British market. And five years ago, I was tired of all the rain and the cold and the gray, and I moved to Los Angeles, where I'm now pursuing the big dream of Hollywood. Uh, and so far, I think it's going okay.
0: Well, you know, I would say it is. I've, uh, I I've found you on IMDb and, of course, your website, uh, com. if I may give that out. of course. Please do. <laughs> <laughs> Done. Can you tell us some highlights about some of your past acting experience?
2: Sure. I, uh, so something that I think a lot of people who don't work in the film industry or don't work in television kind of need to understand from an actor's perspective is that Los Angeles and Hollywood is genuinely a long game. Very few people arrive and then book some major production immediately. It's really about getting to know the casting directors, getting to know the directors and constantly going in and impressing them so that they remember you. And you book a couple of little things and that momentum grows every year. And eventually, hopefully, if you're lucky, you book the big gig that puts you over the edge and makes you either famous or at least working regularly so that you can drop all your side jobs. Um, So I've had a couple of really standout moments that for me have been huge. I have worked with William H. Macy on Shameless. I had a tiny little role, but I got to work with him all day and just hang out with him all day, which was incredible. He's a fantastic actor and a very cool guy. Um, And that was my first, um, what's called a network co-star. So that was my first real job for a real TV show where they gave me lines and I had to show up and they treated me like a real person, Uh, which... It's important to note that you don't always get treated like a real person unless you get lines. <laughs> so there, there's that, which was huge for me. I recently just shot a movie for sci-fi called Drone Wars with Korn Nemec, who a lot of people may know from Parker Lures Can't Lose or from more recently from Stargate SG-1. He was on that for two seasons as Elias. No, as Dr. Jonas, I think is the character name. Um SG-1 people, please feel free to correct me. So that was really cool because I've known him for a long time. And that is a, you know, it's a network that everybody watches. And I'd worked with the director before, a guy called Jack Perez. And I'd worked with him on a previous show and he really liked me. And he brought me back to do this other film with him, which is huge for me. That somebody liked me so much that they called me directly and said, I I want you to be in this movie. Awesome. Uh, So that's been really cool. I've got several... Television spots under my belt. I've done several independent films, some network films, and now a major film. So I
1: can't complain. Yeah. It's been a good run so, so far. So why don't we dive right into that? And why don't you um, share your experience um, with being
2: sure part of the Force Awakens? So I've been air punching secretly for months because Disney NDAs are very thick and very scary. But I do some voice work on Star Wars The Force Awakens. And aside from Phasma, obviously, I provide the voice to the first female stormtrooper that the series has ever had. And that is super exciting for so many reasons. Uh, first, because I'm in Star Wars, oh my God, <laughs> yeah. like, the novelty has not worn off. and I And as a stormtrooper, I only say one line. I have some other lines in the film, but as a stormtrooper, I only have one line. And it's to Kylo Ren, and I have no idea what he replies back because I get so worked up in my own head that my voice just came out of that stormtrooper. That I have no idea, like what the conversation is. I know what I say, and then I have no clue what happens afterwards. <laughs> um, not. N- I'm going to go see it again today, and I ha- I'm going to try and pay attention this time.
0: Aha! Uh-huh. So, so I was just about to ask you if you could repeat your line for us that you said. I've yeah, got, I, I have to get it here. You know, for sure. posterity.
2: So the line that I say, let me see if I can remember it now, um, is, sir, sensors triggered and hangar 718. We're searching the area.
0: You know, I'm going to and- add a little reverb to that and I'm going right. to preserve <laughs> it.
2: And
0: that, was, that was perfect. Uh, and, and I'm sure you probably had some direction from uh, uh, Director Abrams there and, uh, or, or uh, who actually directed you uh, doing the uh, the voice work.
2: I'm happy to, I can tell you about sort of how this whole process worked for me. I I went in to do two voice sessions. Originally, I was invited to come in for what's called a loop group, which is a group of actors who provide all the background sounds on a film. So if you think of the cantina scenes or the market scenes, if there's yelling or screaming, none of those extras when they're actually filming are allowed to make any noise because the primary actors are usually speaking or doing action and they don't want any noise in the background to distract from the audio pickup. So afterwards, you get a group of actors who go in and they record all the sort of filler noise that happens. So all the laughter and the gambling noises in Maz Kanata's cantina, all of those things are a group of totally unrelated actors to the actors you see in the scene. So that was the first session that I did. And it was a full day and it was 20 actors. And honestly, I was way out of my league. It was pretty much the entire cast of the Clone Wars. I
0: was just about to mention that. Yeah, I noticed that they were all there.
2: Yeah, it was pretty much the entire cast of the Clone Wars. (laughs) And then a handful of very well-renowned voice actors who do huge gigs for very serious events and commercial brands. And then me, pretty much. Um, So it was very exciting and very weird. To show up and realize that I was going to be performing with this group of, of people that everybody already knew. They knew their names. Some of them, they know their faces. Uh, but everybody was super nice. So you show up and you sign your life away. And it's, it's a room with a giant screen. And it's, you know, it's soundproofed and padded. And they showed us bits of the film. And we were all gripped. And occasionally you go up to the mic. And they tell you what they're looking for. And either as a group or as individuals, you start making those background noises. So for example, if there's a scene where people are being chased, then you need some people sort of shouting and screaming and grumbling and going, yeah, yeah. when you have the cantina, you want to have a lot of aliens. So we all went up individually and just made up alien noises. You just go up to the microphone and go. And then the geniuses at Skywalker sound make you sound. Totally insane for the final film.
0: So in addition to being the first female stormtrooper other than Captain Phasma, right. you you can also lay claim that you were uh, some Star Wars aliens as well.
2: Right. And I also do all the resistance-based PA announcements.
0: Amazing. Cool. Amazing. Do you remember any of them specifically?
2: I, I don't. I can hear them very clearly when, uh, when I'm watching the film. And I can... As I'm listening to them, I can remember some of the things that are saying about all pilots, please proceed to the flight deck, something like that. Um, But the second session that I did, I was invited back by myself about two weeks after doing the initial loop group session to read scripted dialogue. One of the things that happened in the loop group was that none of the stormtrooper noises or lines that we recorded were done by women. The group is about 50% women, 50% men. Um, but anytime any stormtrooper got killed or hurt or had a line to say, we only recorded men. And all of the women in the room were grumbling and sort of saying, can we just do it anyway? This is not fair. We want to be stormtroopers too. <laughs> but they didn't have any specific direction that they should do that. So the Skywalker Sound people obviously are gonna do what they think and they've been directed to do. And about two weeks later, I got a text message from Matt Wood saying, would you like to do more voice work? And I said, yes, for what? And he said, we need a female stormtrooper. And I air punched like a crazy person out in public because I was in an adoption fair because I work for a dog rescue. Uh, and everyone was like, what's happening? And I couldn't say anything. I said, I, just <laughs> got some really, I got some really good news from my friend. And they're like, what? I said, I can't I can't tell you what it is, but it's amazing. And so then I went back in and all of this was done at Fox. So uh, in Los Angeles, so I went back in and I was given about six pages of dialogue and I recorded all of it. And it was everything from um, first order officers, stormtroopers, stormtroopers in battle, the resistance PA announcements, uh, first order PA announcements, X-wing pilots. I think I actually have an X-wing pilot line as well. I'm pretty sure it's me, but I need to find out. For sure, uh, but I'm pretty sure I'm also an X-wing pilot who says "copy that" during the the um, resistance run on Maz Kavata's castle. Pretty sure. So I'm a little bit I'm a little bit force balanced, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so I went in and read about six pages of dialogue and made some up on the spot as well. Um, there were a handful of situations where I think watching the final cut, they realized maybe things weren't clear, so they were going to add in a little snippet of dialogue just to make sure the audience was on the same path that the film meant them to be. And that took about an hour. And then I went home and crossed my fingers that it was going to make it into the final cut. And about three days after they announced they'd finished the film, I got another text message from Matt Wood saying that I was the first female stormtrooper.
0: Oh, and and uh, describe the feeling that you got the moment you got that text message.
2: <laughs> i i I was during the the moment that I got that text message, I was in the middle of filming drone wars. And I was supposed to go to San Francisco to meet up with some friends for a Star Wars specific event. And we were going to have a private party at Rancho Obi-Wan. And I was really looking forward to it. But because of my call schedule that weekend, I, I had to cancel my plans last minute. And I was really disappointed. So I was kind of feeling a little bit sorry for myself, even though I was filming this great film that I you know, wasn't going to see my friends and I had to cancel my trip. So I was sulking slightly and then I got this text message and it made up for everything bad that has ever happened to me in my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> I I told my husband right away and I was jumping around and you know I told Matt straight up in this text message that he made a dream come true for me. This was this was huge. This is huge for anybody. That's even one line if you love Star Wars or if you're 501st I joined the 501st as a TK, and to be a stormtrooper is the coolest thing ever. I will ride this for the rest of my life. It's amazing. <laughs> it makes me so happy.
0: I think you're probably – I could be wrong. Nikki, maybe you could uh, correct me if I am wrong, if, if you know me to be wrong, and, and uh, sometimes I am. Uh, <laughs> I, I have a condition I call Sith timers, so I, I tend to <laughs> I tend to be wrong quite often. Um, but I do believe – Uh, You are the first person, at least that I've ever encountered, that actually joined the 501st first before being in a Star Wars movie. You were actually a Stormy in the 501st, and then you got to be a Stormy in in the Star Wars movies. Uh, So I thought that was pretty cool.
2: Yes, it is super cool. It is super cool. And I wanted to tell everybody right away, and I wanted to message Albin and, and let him know. And I just couldn't. I just couldn't tell anybody. So I had to sit on it for about two months. Um, and just twiddle my thumbs. And, and I, you know, I'd, I'd also seen, I would say about maybe half of the film already during the initial session um, when we were filming, when we were recording the loop group. So I knew a lot of stuff that happened in the film months before anybody else when theories were still flying around. And even the heightened anticipation was still a little bit off because it was about two months before. I knew so much of the film and I couldn't say anything to anybody. <laughs> That's what I was going to ask was when was your when that uh
1: loop group session that where you saw footage so it was about two months before the movie came out
2: yeah, it was about two months it was about two months before the movie came out and uh all of us i have to tell- ta- i have to say you know loop group is it's a good job and it's a fun job, but as far as voice acting goes it's not a terribly glamorous job because you don't get a main character. You don't really tell a lot of story, especially for these voice actors who are accustomed to being the lead in a series. You know, Matt and Sam and Kat and James, they are the Clone Wars and they mm-hmm. are huge characters in the Clone Wars and we know who they are. And for them to come in and basically be voice extras, it's kind of a step down. But because it's Star Wars, everybody that was invited made room in their schedule. There were people who canceled other engagements because they wanted to do this instead. That's how huge it is. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I would do that. (laughs) Right? So uh, we were all gripped the whole time. There were things that we saw that we all leaned forward. I was looking around the room and just, it was like, we didn't even care that we were supposed to be recording things. We just wanted to know what happens. And we did (laughs) tease the Disney security guy who was guarding the film with his life a little bit that as actors, we needed context. And if they could just back it up to the opening scroll, that would help us a lot. <laughs> uh, he didn't buy it, so but it was worth a shot anyway. <laughs>
0: Uh, the, uh. the things that uh once you get the opportunity to be in a Star Wars film it sounds like uh, if you get the opportunity to uh just scratch a little bit more maybe uh <laughs> right? you which know, you might have a little more access to i can see how tempting that would be well you know i'm sure you've trooped many conventions uh and of course you've probably been at uh behind the 501st table uh what are the prospects now of you being behind your own table at a <laughs> convention do you see yourself doing that at all because all of a sudden uh, I want your autograph.
2: <laughs> you know, it's funny. I have received several requests legitimately for autographs, which has been super weird um, because I've been in the 501st for so long. And although the last couple of years I haven't been as active as I was originally just because of other conflicts and life happens, um, it's, 501st people are my people. Even if they're new, even if I I have never met them we're all in this together, and I consider all of us the same. And so suddenly, I'm getting 501st requests, legitimately for autographs for my one Stormtrooper line. Is nuts. <laughs> um, I, you know, if I ever had a larger part, I would totally do the convention thing. I, I, uh, I have gone to several conventions. This is about ten years ago with Matt Wood, and around the world, we went together. And I've seen what it's like and it was really fun and I had a good time and I would totally do that. I think it's really fun to interact with fans, but it's also crazy to think that for my one stormy line that I actually have fans, you know, it's, it's huge, but it's also tiny in the grand scheme of things. So I will continue to 501st. I'm the same as everyone else. Uh, and hopefully I can troop with you guys again soon.
0: Well, I look forward to trooping with you. I mean, uh, well, I guess we both do. I mean, mean, when you're back up uh, uh, Canada way, upper New York way, and of course, down here in Southern California way, um, I have, of course, uh, I I don't troop a lot because I am a working Sith, but um, I do have the orphanage troop that I do now twice a year, Mm -hmm. and I'd love to get you out to that. Um, Yeah. And, uh, you know, Matt Wood is a great guy. Um, I'm from the Bay Area, and of course, he is too, and uh, we're both the same age. We could have gone to high school together. In fact, I think we were both in the same school district together, just different, different high schools. So it's like a small, small world. Um, But he is a really good guy. And I I met him a few times. I'm glad that you're uh, friends with him. He's just spectacular, of course, as uh, General Grievous, let alone all of the things that he does at uh, (laughs) Lucasfilm.
2: Yeah, he is super cool. Uh, We became friends 10 years ago. We've maintained a real friendship since then. When we're in the same city, which is now more often because he's in Los Angeles, more often we go have dinner or hang out or I harass him to hang out with me. But he's usually working a lot. Um, He's a really cool guy. I'm really grateful that he gave me this opportunity. It was all him. The reason that I got this is because of him. And the reason that I am involved in Star Wars now as part of Star Wars is a 100% because of him. And uh, he could have called anybody in to do a female stormtrooper. There were other voice actresses, but he called me because he knows that I love stormtroopers and that I'm 501st and that I want to grow up and be a stormtrooper. So thanks, Matt. You're awesome. <laughs>
1: um, so I also noticed you were part of the the line at the Chinese theater. Is that right? Yes,
2: I totally was. <laughs> <laughs> I love lining up for Star Wars. I love it. I love it. I did all three prequels. I did two weeks for episode one. I did a week each for episode one and two. I love it. Lining up for Star Wars, even when you already have seats, is so much fun. Everybody's so nice, and you get amped up for what's happening, and you just find your people. So I, I was number twenty six in line out of about two hundred. Um, I had just over ninety hours. I was hoping to get a hundred, but close enough. And yeah, I only stayed overnight one night this year. Um, I, you know, I am also a working bounty hunter. So I had other, other obligations, but I did stay over one Saturday night and I would usually show up mid afternoon and stay until at least midnight or one. So I was staying pretty late. It was so much fun. If you've never done it, I mean, line up. It's, it's-
1: <laughs> And the original plan was that you guys were lining up for the, the premiere on like December 17th, but Did they let you go in
2: early on that Monday? So, yes, yes and no. Um, So what happened was, is we were lining up for the premiere. We had all the tickets for the first. We had about 600 tickets in a group already purchased for the first show. And we were working with the TCL Chinese Theater very closely. No one has ever been allowed to camp out in the forecourt before. They gave us a security guard at night. We had 24-7 access to the restrooms. They were extremely supportive and made us a great offer for... Not only bringing publicity to the TCL Chinese Theater, but just for the whole hype of the entire event. And as the red carpet experience started being built, we were all sweet-talking the security guards and trying to figure out a way just to get in there. Just to see what was happening inside that huge tent. And I'm sure you guys know Obi Sean.
0: Oh, yeah. He's super
2: great. And he was part of the line as well. And he was working with some of the organizers and people at Disney Publicity. And, you know, knew that the Rebel Legion and 501st were going to get bleacher seats um, for the red carpet and said, you know, these people are actually camping out. Can we have some seats as well? And in the end, it did work out that they had 100 spots that people could come and watch the red carpet. Um, Unfortunately, I I was technically one of those people, but unfortunately, I had other obligations and we had to be there at 6 a.m. I don't know if you guys went to it, but you had to be there at 6 a.m., And it was freezing cold, and we didn't really know what the day was going to be like. So I just couldn't do it. Uh, And then about midway through the day, I got an email saying, if you can still be here by about 2.30, you can come see the premiere. Again, I had other obligations, and I couldn't do it. But all of those people who did show up at 6 a.m. got to do the full red carpet experience, go see the show on Monday, and then go to the after party inside the red carpet tent afterwards so a lot of people from our group did go see it which did cause as anticipated a little bit of drama and rift in the group because we were all lining up to see it together but then I saw that the cast and crew screening the next day anyway so (laughs) I don't really feel like I missed out on too much but part of part of the people in our group did go to that red carpet premiere cool yeah it
1: is cool I did get invited, but I wasn't able to fly out to the other coast to go do that.
2: I think for all of the people who were upset, I, I think everybody admits that it was pure jealousy. And if they had been in that situation, they would have done it. But they just felt a little bit like Disney is so huge and so organized that they kind of could have let us know in advance because people could have worked around it. You know, if somebody couldn't be there at 6 a.m. because they had to take their kid to school, if they'd been told they could show up at 2.30, they probably would have been able to do it. But by <laughs> 2.30, they needed someone to pick their kid up from school. Yeah. So I think a lot of people were just felt a little bit heartbroken and and like they'd missed a huge opportunity. And not so much the film, but really the red carpet experience, because the film you can see anytime, But to be able to go to the party and to see what was inside that tent is totally different. You know, you'll never, never be able to replicate that anywhere else.
1: The other thing that I noticed that you have been working on um, that I thought we could talk a little bit about was you were doing some sort of uh, cooking show. (laughs) You want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. I know we're like
2: veering off of Star Wars, but. It's totally fine. Uh, Every Thursday, I put up a video about two to three minutes long for my cooking show called The People's Pantry. The People's Pantry is a show where I cook vintage recipes from community cookbooks, and then I have a taste tester try it and give me their feedback and their thoughts on it. Um, it's a very funny show. Like I said, the episodes are really short, they're really easy, and I try to make sure that they're entertaining. And I shoot the recipes really nicely as if it's a BuzzFeed or Pinteresty video. So uh, I shoot the recipes very seriously But the I do an intro and then usually my husband is the taste tester at the end. But occasionally I have a guest taste tester and I really just go after the recipes that are wrong. (laughs) Um, And this was inspired because I had some friends in town and I have a friend called Emma who loves vintage kitchen stuff any kind of stuff. And she right now is on a kick collecting these community cookbooks. And community cookbooks specifically are the ones that are, are are assembled by communities, whether it's a church or an elementary school or some NGO, and then redistributed, you know, usually as a fundraiser. So a school needs, an elementary school needs new soccer uniforms. All of the parents provide a recipe. Somebody photocopies and collates them and then sells it back to the parents for $5. And the reason that I chose these recipes is that when you give a recipe to a book like this and you know it's going to be disseminated in your community, I would think that you would make an effort to give your best recipe. (laughs) And so many of them are absolutely horrendous. And there are, granted, there are a lot of good ones as well, but I don't do those because then the show is not funny. But for every 10 good ones, there's just one that's baffling. Just baffling. Horrible, Disgusting, weird, badly proportioned. So every week I do a different recipe and put it up every Thursday on my channel, peoplespantry.com. As well, I usually tweet it and post it on my Facebook and all that stuff. And it's pretty funny, and I hope you guys watch it. Tho-
0: those <laughs> bad ones aren't uh, – not as bad as mincemeat cheesecake, I hope. Uh,
2: oh, God. Anyone, I mean – the first, The second recipe I did was avocado dipped or guacamole dipped, supposed to be guacamole. and the first ingredient is gelatin. Oh my And the third ingredient is mayonnaise. Oh my oh, oh my. I don't know if you've ever had guacamole before. But well, there's no gelatin or mayonnaise in guacamole.
0: I'm not sure if I want to say what I was about to say now, but um, far be it from me to jump at an opportunity. <laughs> Anyone who is a, a friend of mine on Facebook knows that I have a, a certain affinity for cheesecake, uh, any kind except mincemeat. I found that out the hard way. And, and um, so, and I'm a very Dom DeLuise esque kind of guy. So, uh, minus the beard. Uh, so, uh, if you need a taste tester, and I'm in the area, I'm in the OC here. Uh, well, I would love to volunteer myself, uh, you know, for you know, your services. I will be your cupbearer. I uh, I
2: do have a cheesecake recipe that uh, is on my roster coming up. If you would like to be my taste tester, oh, that sounds like a good thing.
0: Except. Wholeheartedly, I, 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 <laughs> there is no cheesecake except for mincemeat meat that I cannot withstand the, the, the brutal onslaught of my appetite.
2: <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, the thing that's pretty funny about this show is that I am not a cook. I we don't really cook at home very often. I'm not a foodie. I don't hold any particular affinity for fancy, expensive restaurants. I'm really, I like very plain food. I have the palate of like a five-year-old, very simple, non-fussy food is what I prefer. So first of all, the fact that I'm doing a cooking show is hilarious because I'm not a cook (laughs) and I have no aspirations to be a cook. But the other thing you, if you watch the show, you'll notice is I never taste the recipes myself ever, (laughs) ever, ever, ever. And in almost every episode I will tell you something that I don't like. Like I don't like cheese and I don't like mayonnaise and I don't like salad dressing. At every episode, I try to weasel in somehow if I can about how I don't like things. So it makes it a little bit extra funny as well because I'm not actively participating in the food part of it.
0: (laughs) I'm assuming this is on YouTube. Can you tell the listeners your YouTube channel where they can find this?
2: Yeah. So you can either go to my YouTube channel is called The People's Pantry or if you go to thepeoplespantry.com – Every Thursday, a new recipe goes up on the homepage, and all of the back uh, recipes are on the videos page, so you can always access it. And I usually tweet it, so if you search hashtag the People's Pantry, you'll either find me or you'll find the People's Pantry videos listed. And it's really funny, and I hope people like it. It's very family-friendly. There's no swears or anything.
0: Great. Uh, That's what we like.
2: (laughs) (laughs) If there are, I beep them out, but it's very far, few few and far between. It's probably your taste testers that are... (laughs) 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 <laughs> that are swearing. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. promise to be good. You know, yeah, I, hope. I sometimes I feel like I need to reevaluate my taste testers, or like my husband's becoming a little bit jaded at the recipes because he's starting to not dislike them as much as I feel that he should. Like he's just <laughs> the bar has been lowered so much that he's like, yeah, it's okay. I can, <laughs> it's, no, what's wrong with you? Don't. So I tried to find a Star Wars related recipe for the Star Wars premiere, but. I could They're all too new, you know, and they've been tested, all the, like, the Wookiee cookies and things and the mm-hmm. boba fettuccini. They're all too new. They're, there's nothing about them that's exceptionally gross, I don't think. But I did do a taste test with two of the line members at the Ch- TCL Chinese Theater. So one of the episodes is actually taste testing in line, and then the second episode is me doing my intro while in line because I didn't want to go home and lose hours to record the intro. So I did it on my phone. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm.
1: Dedicated. Yeah, I think I have some of those cookbooks, those Star Wars cookbooks. I've never really tried anything out of them, though. Just just bought them in the, yeah, in the shopping frenzy of, of the prequels? Oh, yeah, definitely. And the one with the cookie cutters, I had to have that, even though I don't make cut-out cut cookies.
2: I I was gifted those, and they remain in the box in my house. I like them. <laughs> I don't use them. But I do have them as well. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's one of the uh,
1: the sicknesses sometimes of being a Star Wars fan is that you just buy this stuff and then
2: you're like, okay, now what?
1: Right. <laughs> you don't I, actually
2: use it. Yeah, I, I we have my husband works for a company called Loot Crate that I'm sure some of you, oh yeah, people know. Oh, yes. So um, you know they send you stuff every month, and I was like, we're stop bringing stuff home. You, I don't. There's no more room for stuff unless the stuff can go on the wall and is framed please stop bringing stuff so very he'll curate the things that he brings home that he thinks I might like like you know cuz you just end up with shelves and shelves full of plastic little guys which is great but eventually there's no more room for shelves <laughs> so yeah it is definitely a sickness the star wars sickness so now i i only collect star wars artwork and big star wars things like you know a big at or I have a big, one of the original Millennium Falcons on display, but I don't get any of the little mini figs or anything any, anymore. I just can't. I just, I have to I'm cut myself off. <laughs> I love the tiny rolling BB-8. It's so adorable and I've not bought one and I've told everyone not to buy me one. Just don't, I don't want one. I want to play with yours and then please take it home.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got one of those un- under the tree this Christmas, the, yes. the Sphero BB-8s. They're yeah. so
2: cute, but I uh, like, I have one of the voice control R2s uh, mm-hmm. that Matt would actually gave me as a gift for Christmas one year. Um, and he sits a little neglected. I mean, he's got a good spot in the house, but he, you know, he sits a little neglected. Occasionally I try to show him off to people and he doesn't respond because he hates me. So I'll be like, <laughs> Hey R2, do you remember? And he doesn't do the thing yep. that I want him to do. I'm like, anyway, it's super shit. cool. If you can get it here, here's this YouTube video of somebody who knows how to use it. <laughs>
0: I have one. I know, and it's, my it's cat. It's been so posted.
2: long, I forget the
1: commands that you're supposed to tell them. Right.
0: Oh, it's. uh, my, I tease my cat with my uh, interactive R2D2 all the time. It's, hey, R2, dance routine. And then he starts dancing around, and my cat fights with him. It's <laughs> Mortal Kombat right here in my living room.
2: That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, we actually went to an event recently and there we have a full size, you know, remote control R2 that we bring out to troops. And there was actually a boy that came up to him. He's like, hey, R2, dance routine. And so we played the cantina song for him. Oh, He's like, well, hey, my look, gosh. it does
2: it. That
1: is <laughs> awesome. So the kid was like so happy that the big giant R2, you know, does the same things as his little one at home.
2: You know, it's so funny. I know so many people who have big R2s. And I know people in the R2 Builders Club or the Droid Builders Club. But even like whenever I'm actually faced with one of those full size R2s, it's like I totally and I can see the guy holding the remote control. I'm like, you don't exist. And I'm like, I need to hug it. (laughs) And like have a conversation with it, you know, and like, I know better. I'm an adult, but I still get lost in it every single, every time without fail. If there's a full size R2, I just turn into a babbling idiot. I'm like, hi, R2. I love you. You're so cute. You know, (laughs) I, it's amazing. The power of Star Wars to like transcend everything and bring you back to when you were a small child, no matter the circumstances, it's incredible. And that's something that I love so much about it. Yes. Yes. He's definitely special. Yeah, a little R2. <laughs> a little R2.
0: Well, Verona, we are so privileged to have you here uh, with us. And, of course, I'm a member of the Legion, a founding member, really, of the Legion for so long. And, uh, and again, here you are, uh, a Star Wars fan. In fact, you know, The Force Awakens is comprised of a cast full of of Star Wars fans and I'm I'm just glad to be a part of a a club that has uh someone like you in it you know that's in the movie and and uh, appreciates it for what it is and also you know you got to be a part of it you know it's, that's just
2: just cool it is super cool thank you so much for having me i love the fiberverse so much it's such a cool club and i i'm always sort of like to remind people of my old school seniority that i've been around for a long time <laughs> <laughs> you know, it feels it feels like a privilege to know that like I was there at the beginning, even if I'm not as active as I as I was then as even let me try it again, even if I'm not as active now as I was then to be able to have seen it all the way through and to seen everything that has happened. And, you know, I remember the time very clearly before we were affiliated with Lucasfilm like so clearly and all the hoops and the secretiveness and how careful we had to be about everything because we had no affiliation officially with Lucasfilm. And I remember Lucasfilm sending cease and desists to people Mm -hmm. for making armor and stuff like that. So it's very cool to have like lived through the whole history. And the fact that it's still around and it's so big is amazing. And everybody is so cool. Amazing. What a club. Everybody should be in this club. (laughs) <laughs> it's harder to get in now though man the requirements have tightened up quite yes. a lot uh, they've that spi- is true they
0: have spiffied the place over the years I mean, wow
2: very shiny now
0: <laughs> well uh, Verona you take care it's been an absolute pleasure having you here on the 501st cast and I hope we can get you back sometime and I definitely need to get you out to Hillside's Orphanage in Pasadena at some point in the uh, not too distant future we're going back in August
2: I would love to. Let me know. Keep me posted. I'm on the boards now. So. All righty, definitely. Yeah, and if you ever come back out to
1: Toronto around the time of Fan Expo, which is um, Labor Day weekend for the Americans at least, yeah, um, I think you should definitely come to that. That's like a big Canadian event every year.
2: I, You know, I miss Fan Expo, and I would love to come back for for Fan Expo. I always miss it. I'm always there like the week before or the week after. So hopefully <laughs> I will see you again soon and yeah. not not in 10 years.
1: <laughs> Well, thank you again. I know I was so excited when I read the news on Facebook that you were so the was female
2: I. star trooper. I mean, I'm still excited. I'm a little bit jealous of me about this whole <laughs> thing. So uh, thank you guys so much for having me. This has been really fun. It's really nice talking to you. And, and what an honor to be considered a guest on the 501st cast. <laughs> I feel so special. I really do. It's awesome.
0: Oh shucks. We're the ones that are supposed to be honored. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. The 501st Legion is a worldwide Star Wars costuming organization comprised of and operated by Star Wars fans. While it is not sponsored by Lucasfilm Limited, it is Lucasfilm's preferred Imperial costuming group. Star Wars, its characters, costumes, and all associated items are the intellectual property of Lucasfilm. Copyright and trademark Lucasfilm Limited. All rights reserved. That's it, troopers. Join us next time on the 501st cast.
2: Sensors triggered in Hangar 718.
1: We're searching the area.